house of the Lord together. Certainly we know that's just not the building, Lord. That is probably the last part of that that it would be. It is the people. When you gather us, Lord, you are here with us. You promised to do that. And we stimulate one another and cause one another to love you and your word and each other more when we gather. So I thank you for each and every one that is here. Lord, I pray for those who travel, many families trying to get one more week or a weekend in before vacation, before uh, the heavy load of school and all that comes with that, Lord. So be with them as they travel. And then others, certainly, Lord, are, are, uh, are suffering in different ways, uh, n- not able to uh, be here with us, to be able to sit in the service. Some Many are joining online, Lord. Lord, I thank you for Tom Kea, who is now in your presence, Lord. I thank you that he came to know you late in age, but ran as hard as could be to the end. I thank you for his family that surrounded him, elders that were there as he stepped out of this life and into your presence, Lord. Lord, be with that family. Minister to them as well, Lord. Father, we do thank you for our missionaries. We do think of Kyle this morning as he's lost his father to go and to be in the presence with you. A very close relationship with his dad. And now, Lord, by your wisdom, you've chosen to bring him home. And so we pray for Kyle and Della and the children, Lord, as they press on in their mission work far from the United States in a very, very different culture. Uh, We pray you would strengthen them as they go forward. Thank you for uh, that family. Thank you for their commitment to the gospel. Thank you for their commitment to the church in places that are unlikely. We pray that you would give them protection, guidance, and wisdom. May we continue to give, to be able to support and help. May we continue to go. Lord, we thank you for Shannon Fitzgerald, who just returned from a summer of ministry, Lord. So grateful for her. She's such a source of encouragement, Lord. And now, just in a few days, she'll go to teach here. Lord, thank you for people who dedicate their lives to the furtherance of the gospel. Bless her for that. Thank you for this time, Lord. Now, as we look into your word, may you challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us. All of the above, Lord. We know that's what the Word does through the work of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take your Bibles and turn with me again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I am not moving off of this verse, verse 58. I will get off of it eventually. I have to. But um, it is such a powerful verse of application. And I've been looking at it over the last few weeks, particularly as it has to do with the, the church particularly the church's response to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the, to the response that Jesus, in his death, burial and resurrection, beat sin, Satan, and death. In response that you and I will have resurrected bodies when we see him, we'll be like him. In response to that, I've been looking at this verse as a church. How do we respond to such a marvelous gospel? Because of this gospel, the apostle's been reminding the church to stand firm. He, he used strong language, doesn't he? Be steadfast. Being unmovable, right? Not pushed around by the winds of doctrine or change or the frust- things that frustrate you, but being firm in the Lord. Unshakable is that idea. No matter what the world throws at you, and even the problems that we struggle with in our own church at times, does that knock you off? Knock you off the direction of what God has you doing. See, all believers should be working hard at everything we do. Everything we do in order to bring glory to the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're commanded over and over. All that you do and everything you do and every breath you take. We see that all through the scriptures. We are to glorify the Lord. And if we just took a moment here and you went down through your day, Monday through Sunday morning here maybe, and you thought about all that you did, all the things you were involved in, good, bad, and ugly, what could you offer to the Lord? See, that's where the Bible comes at us, right? You know, Scott, that's, you know, come on, you're supposed to be encouraging us. I'm trying. (laughs) But that's what the Bible teaches, right? It's everything. And this is what Paul's after. He's after a church that's not so caught up in a million things that are distracting them from the gospel message. Certainly Corinth is one of those. And he is reminding us, and I think in so many words, telling us we have one life to live on this earth. And that life is fleeting. And the things that we do in the flesh, in this body, in this present time, they count. They really do. 
not for your salvation, but for the glory of the Lord and the rewarding of the saints and the worship of God throughout all of eternity. This life counts. Do you understand that? Are we by Christian by name and family and somehow came in through bloodlines? Or are we individually blood-bought believers who owe everything, I surrender all to the Lord? I mean, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, that's where Paul's at. This is what he's trying to do, trying to wrangle this church back to that type of thinking. Now, certainly the world labors hard against us, doesn't it? And sometimes our labor seems in vain when we see what's happening in the world. And, and certainly they're blind, they're caught in their depravity, they have no spirit of God. So they're constantly be against the things of God, right? They're appraised, they're spiritually appraised, Paul told us in chapter 2. But when we, his children, love Christ, love his word, love his people from our heart, our labor is not in vain. Your raising of your children, the care that you give to your marriage, um, the, the care of the way you put yourself out there each and every day to do your job for the glory of the Lord, that is not done in vain. Our God watches all of that. And he rewards that. Give him something to reward. Many times in counseling sessions, I've asked couples and individuals, what are you giving to God to bless? Are you giving him anything to bless? What do you want him to bless? What do you, what do you want him to bless? Fighting and arguing and, and hatred and, and uh, constantly looking for the worst in people. What do you want him to bless? He's a God of righteousness and holiness. That's what he blesses. And so that's, that's what Paul's trying to do here with this church. It's been so confused, brothers and sisters. He wants them to walk and be unmovable and steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord so the blessing of the Lord can come. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not people who think, well, Jesus, I belong to you, now make me rich. We are rich. <laughs> There's nobody wealthier in the universe than us. There's your prosperity. We belong to Jesus. We're his. We're sons of the most high. And so we don't labor in vain. The battles you're going through, the struggles you're going through, struggles this church is going through. It is not labor in vain. We must give ourselves daily, and this is what he's after. This, this labor brings him glory. He's given us the promise of the resurrection. He, he's given us everything we need, and so I, I think we've got to get beyond the, the mindset that it's just the missionaries that get worn out for Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, we have missionaries who stood in this pulpit. My dear friend Nilo, I'm going to die tired for Christ. And we all kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I think we got enough text to tell us that's how we die. Is that just for somebody else? Is that for somebody who's called overseas? Is that for somebody else? Or does the church, individually made up of believers, blood bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected bodies prepared for us, eternal rewards, an everlasting eternal life with God our Father, should we not be worn out for Christ? I think that's what he's after here. And we do this whether the world agrees with us or even professing Christians that may or may not understand what we do. True Christianity is never based on what other people think. It is based on what God thinks. And he's clear in his word. There's no doubt of that. And so he's really after our true motivation. Now, I've been working through this verse just word by word, phrase by phrase. I'm down to that last little phrase. Knowing, notice this, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Now, Notice Paul chose the word, uh, your Bible might say, labor or toil. One of the two. I think some of the best uh, translations use those two words there. And they're very important words. There's a distinction there. Um, first he uses ergon, which is the word to work. And he says that previously, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But, but why does he do this? Why does he say, knowing that your work is not in vain. Why doesn't he just use the same word? Why does he go to another koimos, is the, the word for toil or labor? Why does he switch verbs? Why does he do that? 
Well, this word's much more intensive. Let me see if I can give you an illustration that will drive it home. Ladies and husbands might enjoy this. Women don't work at having a baby. They labor. Comprende? Well, how's your wife doing? Well, she's working. She's down in room 205. She's working. She's laboring. I've had kidney stones. I can talk about this. I'm getting the shake by the blonde one down here. She's laboring. She's laboring. And the word is intense. He, he chose a different verb because it carries the idea of laborious toil, experiencing distress, trouble, difficulties. It has the idea of engaging while working, actively fatigued. Every mom goes, <laughs> right? I understand that. Working while troubled or harassed. That's the word. That's the depth of what Paul is after. After 57 verses of great doctrine on the resurrection and Christ and all his glory, he comes to a, a verse and tells us, no, have absolutely hard understanding that your toil, your labor, your harassment, your exhaustion, your fatigue in Christ is not in vain. That's a big difference, isn't it? And today in the American church, it is constantly, give me, give me, give me, what have you done for me lately type thing. And, and by the way, we don't want to hear to the moralities of the Bible. Paul says, die tired. You're not going to die in vain. Give it everything you got. See, the word of God is stressing, and I think in a real strong way through the Spirit, influencing us to labor for the Lord. Not through our own strength, but leaning on Him. That's the only way to do it. It's the only way you get through it. And He'll give you direction. He'll give you power and authority to do this. Um, Hayward was mentioning uh, John 15 already in that passage. You don't do anything apart from me, right? So ultimately, our laboring, our striving, our agonizing on this ministry of life here under the sun before we go to be with the Lord is all done through our Lord. And we feel the most difficult part is when we do it apart from him. Now, when we toil or labor through the power of a triune God, that's when we become steadfast, immovable. That's when we start to abound in the work of the Lord. And, and what's interesting is I, as I went over this again and again and again, I thought, Lord, as I read it that way, that sounds like joyful labor versus intensive labor. See, let me read that again. As, as we toil and labor through the power of a triune God, he makes us steadfast, immovable, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How many of you are sidelined right now? You're sidelined for whatever reason it may be. Maybe you're mad at us, you're mad, you know what, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're mad at your spouse, maybe you're mad at whatever, something didn't work out the way you want it. Um, something's not going and you're sidelined and everybody's running the race and they're going by you and you're on the sideline. What got you there? What are you involved with that? Because that's all you can take care of before the Lord. And what's going to take to get you up and get you going? See, that's what Paul's doing. This church has got sidelined. He wants them to go. And the way we stop wavering, the way we, we stop continuing these foreign directions away from God and stop falling and, and stop the urge to quit is we are led by the Spirit to run God's way, run His way. And not only is your Heavenly Father helping you run this race, He's going to reward you to run the race. Isn't that kind of Him? I, I mean, I'm good. I mean, you know, think about it. Lord, you saved my soul for eternity. I am not going to hell. You don't have to give me any rewards. And yet He tells us He will reward us. Paul's, some of Paul's last statements as, he, as he's... I could probably got his head in the guillotine almost. I'm done. I ran the race. I kept the faith. I fought the fight. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not only for me only, but for all those who long for his appearing. This is what he does. He's beyond gracious, isn't he? My soul is saved. And he lets me be involved with his kingdom work. 
Hebrews chapter 6, 9 through 12. Let me just read this beautiful text. Just think about this in this context. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. The things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, he's been on them. There's been some that have, uh, have said they're saved, but they're not. These, all these warning passages. He's coming off another one in, in Hebrews chapter 6. But he, he says, we're, we, we still think the best of you. We want you to know what comes with salvation, even though at times we have to rebuke you in some areas. Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. I want to just... I think some people lose their way because they quit serving the Lord and they and now they don't think, so I don't think I'm going to lose my salvation but what you lose is the full assurance of hope that helps you run when you quit when you're tired when you're hurt when you're not in the game anymore That's what happens to us And then verse 12 so that you will not be sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And so our Heavenly Father will reward us with resurrected bodies, with rewards in heaven. I think we're going to cast those back at His feet someday. And so as I looked at this series, working through this for our church, for us here, not for anybody else, for us in this church, it is a reminder and it's an encouragement for us to give ourselves first to the Lord. Then we'll give to others. And the Lord will show us what we need and what we don't need. And I'm convinced he's doing that. And that's what I concentrated on last week. Giving yourself to the Lord. And through loving Christ, loving his word, loving his people. This morning now, uh, quickly, I, wa- I want to look at three things. I want to look at the Macedonian church. Because Paul keeps talking about a Macedonian church. And I want to show you some passages which I believe is the church he's talking about. And then, number two, I want to speak about the leadership that the church must have in order to abound in the work of the Lord. And then finally, I want to speak to what the church is built on, and that's what Pastor Jason was reading. First, number one, the fruitful church that abounds in the work of the Lord. As he deals with Corinth, they're they're on one extreme. They're disobedient. They're caught up in false doctrine. They are not serving one another. They're serving themselves. They're a selfish group of people. On the other end is a church in Thessalonica. That's doing just the opposite, and he has nothing but encouragement for them. They are not a wealthy church. They are blue-collared at best, and they are out-giving that church. They're out-serving. They have more joy, more kindness, more faith, more love. They have all of that more than this church here that has all the resources in the modern world at that time. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at this. Excuse me, actually, chapter 1. We'll start there. Chapter 1, I want to just give you uh, an understanding of who they are. Then we'll look at chapter 3 to see how this church is functioning as a fruitful church that's abounding in the work of the Lord. This is good to see. These are good examples for us. So, so maybe we can imitate them as we follow Christ, right? Paul and Sabanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Verse 1, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Very common opening theme. Paul was grateful for churches that were struggling, grateful churches that were a blessing. But here he starts showing the differences. He's showing the difference between. And he starts with this. He says, constantly, that's always thinking, bearing in mind. Now look at these three things. Your work of faith. And your labor of love in the steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Now these are three amazing facts that I think a lot of this language is coming right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 8. We find the word work in there. We find the word labor in there. And we find the word steadfast in there. See these are things Paul's looking for in people who claim to belong to Jesus. And in the church that says Oh, he is the head of our church. He's everything to us. We're dedicated to him. He's looking for these things. Is there a work of faith? That means faith has a result to it, right? Salvation is by faith alone. Of course, we know that dead in our sins, we cannot faith our way to God. That's a 
supernatural work that he opens our minds and hearts. And some of you people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ have recently experienced that. That there was a time in your life you had no desire for God. You didn't understand him. Didn't care about him. He was just a swear word. There was nothing that meant anything to you. And then all of a sudden, through somebody who witnessed to you, through the word of God, he opens your mind and you understand that Jesus died for your sins. And has forgiven them past, present, and future. And it's amazing, isn't it? Amen? Some of us older people need to be reminded of that, right? That happened in our lifetime. And so, from there comes this work of faith that produces something, right? It just can't be on its own. This, this faith now produces, there's a work there now that, that goes, wow, I'm saved, let's go. What can I do? Who can I tell this message to? What in my life needs to change to reflect this faith and things start happening to you because of the joy of your salvation? And then there's this word labor, same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 58. This labor of love. This agonizing in difficult times but still loving product that comes from a believer. Ooh. Oh, I love you, brother. Do you? I really messed up over here. I've really messed up, and I, and I, I need your help. Condemn me? Or love me and help me. I mean, wh where, where is that at? How do we, how, how, are you willing to get in roll up your sleeves? I'm so grateful for some men lately who are coming up and rolling up their sleeves and helping us with some things. Um, I, I appreciate that. Do you love us, though? Are you ready to help? Or, are others ready to help? And, and certainly this church is. You can see what it's happening. There's a labor of love. There's a labor of saying, hey, they've asked for help in these areas. Nobody seems to be doing it. Well, let's go do it, family. See, see, we labor in love because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And then there's a steadfastness, this unwavering, unmovable hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the prepositions. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. One, that's our position in Christ, who I'm saved in. Two, right now, our Father is watching all of it. We're in his presence. He's watching these three things in our life, the working out of our faith, what, what our faith has done, how the works it produces for his glory, not for salvation, but as a result of salvation. This intense, agonizing labor of love for one another and for our Lord. And then this unmovable hope in our position in Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to us, no matter what they do to us, I cannot be lost as his, as his brother in Christ, right? As my position in Christ, that positional holiness we have in Christ. And it's all done in the watching eyes of God the Father. That's amazing. Well, how does this get done? Verse 4, look at this. Knowing, beloved brethren, by God, your, your, your brethren, there's a kinsmanship here. You're beloved. God has pressed his love on you. And how did he do that? His choice of you. And this is just a little verse that, you know, people, oh, yeah, that's not a, you know, you try to show people who fight with you on, on the doctrines of grace and stuff. You go, this is a great verse. This is the word electasis is what we get election from right here, this word choice. And, and look, we work, our work of faith, our labor, love, our steadfastness, hope in Christ is because God chose us. I don't know how. I, I don't know why. I can't answer the million questions that everybody wants to know. But God makes no mistake. And if he wouldn't have chose me, I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead in my sins, headed for hell. There's no way around that. We were lost, dead, dead, dead in our sins. So this is what makes us labor in love, right? This is what makes us steadfast. This is what makes us keep running. Because our God had mercy on the souls of people who were headed for hell. And I don't know why he did it for me. I just praise him. How about you? How about you tomorrow when things are hard? Can you stop and say, I was dead in my sins and you chose me, God. See, we don't beat people up with this doctrine. We try to teach them how glorious God is. It's a worshipful doctrine. Oh, i got to get going. There's so much wonderful stuff in there. Five, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, now only is a really important word there, isn't it? Because it did come in word. A man, led by God, went to these people and said, here's the gospel. And he laid it out for them. As we'll see, in great affliction, he laid it out. He was beat up and bloodied. He'd been, he'd been beat up from town to town. But he came to these people 
um, in great affliction, and he brought it in word, and they heard the word. But it didn't just come in word. Because that's a dead church. A live church. The spirit comes with the word. People who take it serious. People who want to give God all the glory for everything, for saving us out of our wretched sinfulness and our, and our, our eternal destination to hell, it comes with power. And look what he says. Not only in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Oh, that's a little different. Well, you know, you should maybe think about repenting. You know, it's your own will. You do whatever you want, but no, no, no. That's not how Paul preached it. He said, brothers and sisters, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were sons of the one who works in the sons of disobedience. You were Satan's followers. Is that what the Bible says? Pretty clear. People don't like to hear that. See, that's when it came, and it came power, and when it changes you, when you get a hold of this, there's a power, there's a Holy Spirit, there's a full conviction that comes along with it. And notice the men who preach this. He says, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among your sake. Why? Because Paul said over and over and over, we used to be this way, dead in our sins. Liars. And I mean, he, Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 3, he just goes through, we used to be haters of God. He goes down through that whole list. But God changed us, and you know it. Verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. See, this is why we, see, this is a different church, man. This is something unique about this church. They're now saying, man, we want what he has. He knows God. We want to we follow him. And he goes, well, great, you can follow me, but I'm following the Lord. So don't make shrines out of me. Don't talk, to make factions out of me or Apollos or anybody else like the Corinth church is doing. All I'm doing is I'm taking you to Christ. That's what we're going to do together. And they knew it. And having received the word in much tribulation, you want to talk about church planning in difficult times. That first century, with the stranglehold of Judaism, the stranglehold of agnostic, the stranglehold of idolatry that was all over from pagan stuff that we can't even, well, maybe we are starting to get back there again, um, even imagine. All of that's going. There was tremendous tribulation that never stops God. You, you can build walls around cities, and, 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 and he gets through that, and he has a church in the middle of a Soviet Union. You can't stop him. He, he, he promised to build his church, and so even a much great tribulation, with great joy of the Holy Spirit, he says, you became examples to all believers, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but all over. I like this church. I want to be this church. <laughs> I want us to be this church. Because guess what? The report goes out about them. What kind of reception we had with you. This is the report going out. Look at this. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's the report. Now, now there's a really key word here. Let's see this turned. That's called repentance. That's what the, the, the word repentance means. Going one direction, turning and going opposite the other. Today, we have a church in America that requires no repentance to be a part of it. I don't know if you heard Moeller this week. He gave an example of a Republican woman who gave uh, his talk at a prayer breakfast. And she got up and jokingly talked about sleeping with her uh, fiance, who her third, going to be her third husband at the prayer breakfast, and then went on to say, and I'm a member of this church where the senator that was hosting it belongs, and then Moeller went on the website and read, here they say to be a part of this church is you need to repent of your sin, but she's a member there. Now think about this. What makes these people unique here is they repent it. They repent it from this idol self-centered, idolistic life, and they turned from that to God. That's, that's the church. We are all a bunch of people who repented of our sins and turned to Jesus Christ as our only hope. That's it. That's who we are. 
And you can either just say, well, yeah, I'm that. Or can you look at your life and go, by the grace of God, I did repent. And he has changed my life. In fact, there's people who can testify it. Because what goes out on my life, people see it. They see a difference in it. There's a report that's going around about me. In fact, it doesn't end there, verse 10. And now my hope is in Jesus because I'm just waiting for him to come. Not just sitting around telling my sons I'm serving. I have a labor of love. I have a work of faith. I'm steadfast in the hope of Christ. But I'm waiting for the son. He's everything to me. And he's coming from heaven just like he said he would. This is the one whom God raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us. Oh, look at this phrase. Who rescues us from the wrath to come. Listen, brothers and sisters, that wrath is going to come. And it's going to hit this earth in a way that is supernatural and earth-shattering. And you are saved from it. That's an amazing thought. And I don't know where your eschatology is, but one point we get out of this. I think everybody in this room would be there. God loves his children, and he spares us from that kind of wrath. That's a church that's turned. Now, look at chapter 3. Verse 6. Chapter 2 is a beautiful chapter. Paul's defending his apostolic position, his ministry. He talks about his boldness to speak to them the gospel. Verse 2, he, he, he didn't come with error and impurities like that was coming to Corinth. Verse 4, he wasn't a men pleaser. Verse 5, he didn't have flattering speech. Um, verse 6, he didn't do it for the glory of men but the glory of Christ. Um, he was gentle in verse 7. He had fond affections, very, very feminine type of terminology used in this passage of a pastor who loves his flock. He loves them. He lays down his life for them. And he's, he imparted the gospel to them, but not only just the gospel of their own lives, he labored, there's his word again, and hardship for the gospel to go forward, to be proclaimed to them in verse 9. He, he, you're, you're a witness of this, he says. Um, verse 12, this is all done so you walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's, that's what he's trying to do. And so now he turns to him, and he can't stand. He hasn't heard from them. He doesn't know what's been happening with them. So he sends Timothy in verse 6 of chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you. So time's gone by since he's been there and how he shared the gospel and how they turned from idols and all of this. Well, how are they doing? Because he did that with Corinth, and it took a year and a half to them to abandon all those truths he taught them and get tied up with all the things that they were into. Now he wants to know what's happening with Thessalonica, so he sends Timothy, his right-hand man. He said, Timothy was sent. I was, we, we were over in the Athens, uh, Athens areas and probably going to Corinth about this time. We sent Timothy in verse 2, our dear brother, God's fellow worker, gospel of Christ. We were sent him to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And we didn't want anybody to, to, to disturb you by afflictions. We wanted you to hold on to the truth. Verse 4, for indeed when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer afflictions. We don't want you to be concerned. Maybe, maybe they would say, well, if they did this to Paul, they're going to do this to us. We warned you that if you stand for the gospel, if you live for the gospel, you're going to suffer, suffer trials and tribulations. Jesus himself said that. But see, American Christians don't like that. I don't want to suffer. Oh, no, no. If you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. Get that through your head right now. And if you're trying to witness to somebody and say, oh, hey, if you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. It gets a lot worse. <laughs> Doesn't it? That's sin? Yeah, that's sin. And I was wondering, man, because I felt really easy, uneasy about doing that anymore. It just changes, right? And then all the affliction that's coming, look, at, and, and now you're tied with us. So you, we know you're worried about this, but affliction has come. Verse 5, for this reason we couldn't stand it any longer, so we sent Timothy to you because we want to know how your faith is doing during all these trials and tribulations for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There's the same terminology, isn't it? See, Satan can never hinder true Christ-centered love. He, he can cause a lot of problems, but he can't stop it. And that's what happens to these people. And then we get to back verse 6. So we sent Timothy, and he's come back from you now. And has brought us, look at this, this is an amazing statement. Good news of your faith and love. You know how refreshing that was to him? He's been dealing with Corinth. 
I, uh, Chloe's been showing up and saying, Paul, we don't want to be tattletales, but you don't believe what's going on over there. They're divorcing their wives and husbands for, to make themselves more spiritual. He sends Timothy here. He comes back and says, here's a good news, Paul. Their faith is strong. They're laboring in love for one another. This is an amazing report, isn't it? What, what an amazing report. Faith and love. See, that's the marks of a faithful church. That's a good news report. Yeah, things are tough. Things are difficult, right? We're, we, we're going through some of those things. Do, are, is our faith holding? Are we laboring in love for one another? Or do we abandon the ship? Notice the next thing he says about this group, this church, and this like this. That you always think kindly of us. I think that's a fascinating statement. What comes back in this report from Timothy is that church is a kind church. Don't compromise, but they're kind. And they're kind towards us. That's, what a statement. That's a mark of a church. They're kind. They're uncompromisingly kind. Kind people. And they show that kindness. And they, and they display that kindness to one another. And, and kindness, kindness has to deal with our things, right? Sometimes there are difficulties that you've got to come into. But how do you do that? Do you do it with kindness? See, they're kind people. And then notice the end of the verse. This is fascinating. Longing to see us just as we also long to see them. They're longing for fellowship. They're longing to get together. I was up early this morning just praying and reading through my notes and talking to the Lord through them. And I said, Lord, I can't wait to get to church. Even with struggles, I can't wait to get here to see you. And I think that's true of all our elders. We just love to be with you. Is that how you come? Or do you go, hmm, Sunday, routine, American, in the South, go to church. Check. Do you long to fellowship with a brother? Can you not wait to see people in your BFG? Or that person you were praying with, praying for all week long. Could you, can you not wait to get a report of what God has done, how God has sustained them through that, to give them a hug, to give somebody a handshake? Are you looking forward to it? That's what kind of church this is. They're not full of factions and all separate and everybody's eating over there and there and there. And nobody's helping the weak and the poor. Nobody's doing any of that. See, they can't wait to be together. And they can't wait to see their leaders Oh, i got to keep going. Verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and afflictions, tells us they were beat up. Chapter 2, verse 2, we were mistreated in Philippi. Mistreated, huh? How about whipped? How about your back laid open and thrown in a cold jail cell? And I don't think they were worried about infection. I mean, he, he, he really downplays this. We were mistreated in Philippi. Well, you know, you know that passage, Acts chapter 9. Mistreated. They were going to kill him. That was the goal. And, and yet he says, look, even in our distress and affliction, you comforted us about, you were comforted to it through your faith. Your faith comforts us. See, this kind of giving yourself to the Lord is not just good news, it's comfort for those who are distressed. I... I Pastor Brian gave me the figures of what came in this last week. And my heart's been so heavy over this. So have all of our elders. And many of you. Man, did I find comfort. Because there's people in this flock that are forgiving, are loving, and they are showing kindness and doing what they can to help. It, it just... You, I, I just get this. I see this. When I, when I read this as a pastor, I go, I'm, I'm in my distress and in my afflictions, I found comfort because you had faith. See, faith brings comfort. Find someone unfaithful and hang around them. They're not very comforting. <laughs> Find someone who is unwaveringly faithful to God. You want to be that person's best friend. 
You want to hang around them. You want to go to their house. You want to be with them. I promise you want to be with that person. Find faithful people and build tents with them. Park it right with them. And you'll find comfort. Are you that type of person? Look at verse 8. For now we really live. Really is added there because it's, it's an intensity of the verb. We're, we're much alive is the idea of the verb there. We're really living now. Man, it was tough there for a while. We thought, man, if Thessalonica goes down like we had the problems in Corinth and, and, and the Jews were following us from Iconium to Lystra to all that. that if they, but now we're really living knowing that you're standing firm. He finds such comfort in that. If you stand firm in the Lord. So Paul's saying in a way we really live in because you just put fresh breath of air into our sails. In our spiritual lungs. You help us live for Christ. When you run, when you keep the faith, when you fight it, you help us. See, loving Christ, loving his word, loving his people is infectious. Do you get that? It's infectious. And it's infectious to leadership. It's infectious to the flock. We get infected when we're around people who are dedicated to Christ's word and his people. Verse 9. Now as to the love of the brother. Oh, excuse me. I jumped down to chapter 4. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God. Now look at this. On your account. Because these people loved Christ's word and his people. He, they long, in verse 10, he's longing, as he moved down to 9 through 10, we're longing, day and night, we keep praying most earnestly that we'll see your face. So we're, we're longing for face-to-face -face fellowship. We're, we're exalting, we have, we're full of thanksgiving, which produces worship. We're full of joy and rejoicing in the presence of God because of you. Because of you. I have a couple men in my life that are on the West Coast that have been tremendous impacts in my life. And I can't tell you how many times after Sundays or something event goes on at church or way you are living your life in some way that I text those men and I just say this, I love our church. I text that to a man last Sunday. In the midst of all the difficulties and the challenges we're going through, I love this church. And I love you. I, I want to be with you. I want to finish this race with you. I want us to gather ourselves up and run and abound and be steadfast. And when you do that, it, it causes a deep love within me for you. And I think maybe, I hope, as I study and preach and shepherd and do the things I do and the other elders study and preach and shepherd and do the things they do, I hope that makes you love us. And again, none of us are perfect as this. Our failures are out for all to see sometimes, right? But notice Paul's longing. He's wanting to see them face to face. He wants fellowship with them. And notice he wants to be a part of their sanctification process. Look at the end of verse 10. And may complete what is lacking in your faith. Not only do we want to see you, we want to come help you keep growing. Now, Pastor, you're always trying to get us in a DTP class or a Bible study of some sort. Yeah, because <laughs> I love you and I don't want you to stop on the side of the road. I want you to keep running. And so we come with more discipleship to help you. Verse 11 through 13 is a powerful benediction. I read this at the close of the service last week. If you're wondering what passage I read, listen to this. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord, isn't that beautiful? Completely spoken in equality. Direct our way to you. Wow. May our triune God... Father, Son, and Spirit, we'll add that because he talks about the Spirit much in this passage. May he bring us to you. What if we started praying that all week long? Lord, we're going to serve you in all of our different mission points at our different businesses, our places of work, our homes, all these things. And Lord, will you direct our paths back to each other next Sunday? And may I anticipate what you're going to do. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase, here come and go, there's another word, and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. 
See, loving Christ, loving his word, loving his people will cause you to abound in the work of the Lord by loving one another and all people. You'll have a love for wretched sinners that, that their own mom and dad can't love them. Because you know God loved you. Uncompromising, but a love. Kindness, uncompromising, but kindness. See, that's, that's what he sees in this church. And this is why their example, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father. That's our, that's our holy standing. We, we're, we're talking about a lot of practical holiness, right, uh, where we apply that. But this is positional holiness in this verse. May, may, may he, God, establish your hearts without blame and holiness. That's what he has done. Our Father looks at us as children blameless. And you and I know we are far from blameless. But that's not what the finished work of Christ did. It has made us blameless in, before the Father. And notice, notice there's a reunion coming. There's now this biblically healthy longing for the return of Christ. This reunion with all the saints. That's what's coming. You abound in the work of the Lord like this church. Are you, we, we like this Macedonian church. Are we like this example? Hmm. I'm going to quit. Um, not the church. <laughs> and if you're mad at me about taking forever to get through one verse, just tell me and I'll try to respond to you in kindness. But we have to keep learning and working on this, brothers and sisters. I think it's particularly where the Lord has us right now. What he's trying to do with us. How he's trying to mold us and, and correct us and encourage us. All the things that he's taking us through as a church. I, I can't think of a more important passage to sit in. Because next week, and this is what I want to do, and you see in your notes. I, I want to get to leadership. The good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership at times. I want to get to our failures, and I want to get to our successes. I want to get to who's going to join us and who's going to shoot arrows. I want to get to that because it's so important for a church to bound in the work of the Lord. There is a leadership structure that God has put together, and it, and it means, and all of us are in You can't say, well, I'll never be an elder, never be a deacon, I'll, I'll never be this or that. You can't say that. You've got to listen to this, because it's throughout the New Testament. It is throughout the Bible. It, there's so much information given on leadership that we can't miss this, right? And, and this is often where things can go awry. If, if we fail as leaders, and, and we have at times, um, and if you fail to follow us, um, that, that can happen at times, uh, we don't abound in the work of the Lord. So we've got to get this right. So I'm going to sit down in these passages. I have great expectations when I get in this pulpit of teaching you everything I know and then go study some more and come back. And I don't quite get it all done, but, but that's my goal. And so I want to look at these passages. And I want to kind of devour these things um, to make sure we understand this. And I want to look at them in a fresh light, too, within the Scriptures and where we're at and what I and the other elders are asking God to do. I want to share that with you next week. So please come back for that. And then... I want to get to that passage that Jason read. I want to close on that. And that passage is important because there's a difference between those who hear and those who don't hear. And then there's a difference only in the structure underneath the house that is different in that passage. And I'm going to prove to you by Jesus' own words that the houses look identical on the outside. Same shutters. Same windows. Same little cookie stamp, you know, lots. The difference is what's under the skirt of the house. What's it built on? And then we're going to look. When trials and tribulations and even judgment comes, which house stands? It's a gospel presentation, and it's a truth that we're going to come away and say, oh, God. Don't let me get off that rock. So will you come back? Please? <laughs> don't, don't leave me hanging here. Uh, we got to get this done. Maybe you're saying, don't leave us hanging, Scott. Finish this thing. Um, I'm trying. Um, uh, but as I study these passages, and, and I, I have very few notes written down. This, a lot of this is just coming from tons of meditation over these last couple weeks on what we're going through. And I'm pouring my heart out to you.
And I'm speaking for our elders. Father in heaven, we are only perfect and blameless because of your son. Left to ourselves, we are anything but that. But by your grace and your mercy, those who, by your sovereign grace, have been placed in your Son are now called blameless, holy, righteous, fully justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And every believer hearing this from my voice is in awe of that. Because if we're a bit honest with ourselves, we know we received what we did not deserve. That's what produces worship. That's what produces steadfastness and immovability and abounding in the work of the Lord and not toiling in vain. It is the gospel that drives that. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who have hard spots in our heart or soft spots in our heart. I don't, I don't know the hearts of all of us. Lord, you do. But I pray, Lord, we would hear your word and we'd be doers of the word, not just hearers. We, we don't want the judgment of God to hit the house and it utterly be destroyed, proven we were never built on the rock. And so, Lord, let us do our hammer swinging, our framing, our living all on the rock that you placed us on. We give you the praise and glory. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their patience and their kindness. I thank you for their love for each other and for the leadership of this church. And Lord, I ask that you bless them and strengthen them this week. I pray this in Jesus' name.